Welcome to The Penny Drops, the Royal London podcast series simplifying finance to help more people, like you, make better informed money decisions. Royal London recommends you seek professional independent financial advice before making financial decisions. All views and opinions expressed are those of the guest and not of Royal London. Hello, I'm Andrea Fox, a journalist, broadcaster and the host of The Penny Drops, where I speak to some of the best financial experts out there. Now, this podcast was recorded during the coronavirus outbreak, so please excuse any sound issues. We are recording remotely. And of course, for the latest information on financial support and benefits, visit gov.uk forward slash coronavirus. Now, in this episode, we're talking about protection insurance and the different ways that you can help to protect your financial future or that of your loved ones, from life insurance and income protection to critical illness cover and everything in between. Joining me today is Kara Gamel, award-winning personal finance journalist and founder of money-saving blog, Your Best Friend's Guide to Cash, which is a great name. Kara, uh, thanks for joining me today. Thanks. Thanks for having me. So first off, we should start off with exactly what is protection insurance? I've named a few of them in the intro there, but what exactly is it? Um, protection insurance is a type of cover that means that if should the worst happen, you will have um, financial protection in place to cover whatever bills you need. So income protection, for instance, is a type of insurance that will cover you if you're too ill to work. Mm-hmm. Um, critical illness would pay out a lump sum if you were diagnosed with a critical illness or permanent disability. And life insurance would pay out in the event of your death. That's pr- very well I- explained there. And you have actually called protection insurance your jam, haven't you? Why is that? Oh, I did. Um, Well, it's, you know, it's a rare thing to say that you're quite passionate about um, when you're 41. But (laughs) I am... I'm real. I really do believe in income protection in particular because I grew up in a household with two sick parents, and wow. fortunately, both of them had in, in the Canadian equivalent of income protection. Okay. So when I was twelve, my dad had um, a very serious heart heart attack, um, and he was inoperable due to um, you know a variety of factors. Gosh. And they, yeah, basically the doctors gave him three months to live. Um, unless he had, you know, some extreme risky treatment. Um, but fortunately, he was a headmaster um, for a secondary school. Um, but it meant because they weren't able to do the bypassing that he needed, he wasn't able to work. So he was 42, forced to retire at the wow. peak of his career. Um, and I was 12. But I remember everyone saying, oh, he's so young. And I was like, uh, no, he's not. He's 42. <laughs> But I'm 41 now, so that's, you know, next year, really. And I can't imagine having to retire suddenly Mm -hmm. and provide for a family. But luckily, he had um, the protection in place. And he, you know, says when he took it out, he remembers his colleagues saying, you know, that's Frank, you're wasting your money. Why are you taking that insurance? And thank God Mm -hmm. he did. Because it paid out until he, he's still alive. He's um, just yes, we should flag that he's yes, doing well. So he's he looks great. He's been retired <laughs> for thirty years, um, and so yeah, he just had his seventy second birthday, and um, yeah, and he's like, thank God I took it out because it managed, you know, it took the stress out of him having to feel pressure to return to work when he was unable to. Um, and it also allowed him to, to follow the doctor's orders and take care of himself. So, yeah, thank goodness yeah. he had it. And then, on top of all that, um, when my mom was 48, she retired because she has multiple sclerosis. Mm-hmm. Um, and she owned a private nursery. 
Um, and yeah, but luckily also had protection in place and was able to retire when work became too much. Um, it became to create problems for her symptoms. And yeah, and I was at that age, I must have been, I don't know, 15, 17, maybe when my mum retired. But what it meant for me is that I saw it firsthand and I see it from the child's point of view. So I never really thought about what it meant for my parents to not have to worry about paying the mortgage. But from I was 12 and my dad was in and out of hospital um, all the time, really, you know, urgently last minute type thing. But we never had to move out of our family home because they could still afford the mortgage. We didn't have to move from our neighborhood um, because of that. So my neighbors were next door. If my parents had to go to the hospital in the middle of the night, um, I got to stay in my class at school. And it created like a real sense of security at a time when I when things were so uncertain. And when you're 12, you know, you're pretty, pretty sensitive anyway. Yeah. Um, but the world revolves around you. But it really gave me like, I'm so grateful for that. And, you know, and so obviously, I have all this, I'm so protected. It's unbelievable. But <laughs> it, it, I can see how it doesn't just benefit the individual, it benefits the whole family. Yeah, completely. Such a thank you so much for sharing that story with us as well. And like you say, a really good reason that you have from your own experience of of having that income uh, insurance. But let's get on to how in protection insurance in general, like how people work out what type is most suitable for them. Well, it's one of those things that nobody likes to talk about. Um, it's the mm. same with wills. You know, yeah. you, you think if you talk about it, it's almost like you're jinxing it or something. Mm. Um, and But the reality is, is we take out travel insurance, although not at the moment because no one's going anywhere, <laughs> but we take out, we insure our mobile phones. We, yeah. um, you know, take out home insurance, but statistically the likelihood of us, our homes burning down, are, I think it's like under 2%. Yet we all... That's comforting. <laughs> yeah, but it's, you know, but the chances are you're five times more likely to go on long-term sick leave wow. um, than you are to die in your working life. Yet when we get a mortgage, we automatically get life insurance. Mm. So, but, you know, what's the point of having a home um, when you're alive if you can't pay for the mortgage or the rent? So that's where income protection and critical illness um, come into play. And it's about keeping yourself and your family afloat um, when you really need it the most. And it's a case of kind of, you know, almost thinking about it when you're healthy, but you'd be so glad in hindsight if things go wrong. And chances are it it could happen. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and you know, no two people are the same. Everyone's situation mm-hmm. is individual to them. So what sort of personal circumstances should people be taking into consideration when they're looking at protection insurance? And does the cover you need change depending on, you know, like you say, whether you're healthy now, whether you're not so healthy now? Well, absolutely. I think that's a really good question because um, we often get um, prompted to consider protection insurance when we buy a property. Mm. But as we know, um, you know, people are first time buyers are getting older and older and the pandemic isn't necessarily helping that due to unemployment and whatnot. So mm. um, but, you know, renters are older and older. You know, it's but people aren't getting promoted or sorry prompted at that stage when you sign a rental agreement to take out insurance to cover your rent. Um, so it's a case of kind of just being conscious of trying to when you have some kind of massive life change, think about right, 
do I need to consider um, what to do, what would happen if things went wrong? So whether it's maybe you're taking on um, renting a property or if you buy a home and you're getting a mortgage, um, you know, basically when you sign up to something one way or the other, that means that you have to pay to keep your home, hmm. um, whether it's rent or a mortgage. Um, but then also when you then have children or um so for me, it was when my I, I got mine when my, I got a mortgage. And then when I had a child, I increased that because my financial responsibilities increased. Okay. And then now I'm getting a divorce and right. um, wow. my financial um, situation has changed again. But also so has my ex-husband's. And but then again, he has to consider that while we're um, separated and getting a divorce. He's still responsible for things like child maintenance for until our child's 18. You know, so there's lots of different ways to think about it. And also a really big one um, is with children. Um, So you Mm -hmm. think about what would happen in the event of your death. I mean, which is understandable because, you know, the figures show like Child Bereavement Network estimates that every 22 minutes a parent will die leaving dependent children. Gosh. I know. That's really scary. Isn't it? And between the ages of five and 16, one in 29 kids will have lost a parent or a sibling. Mm. So that's like one child in every class Mm. at school. Um, And that's, you know, really quite shocking. Um, So but you when you have kids, you really have to think about what would happen if you were gone. But another thing to think about is what would happen if they became ill themselves. So I have um, a friend um her nephew was diagnosed with cancer at the age of seven or seven months seven months old wow. and unfortunately the parents thought they had critical illness cover for their children as well because they've had to take time off work to of course um, yeah and unfortunately they hadn't um, updated their policy when they became parents and the, so they weren't covered and oh, no. you know that's what you you don't think about that when you have a baby <laughs> no, exactly. And I, I imagine they were had other things to think about. What, you know, yeah, seven, they, seven months. You you can imagine how they might have not got around to sorting that out. But it's well, it's the, just really important to do it. Yeah, and they that's their second child, so they also had to consider, wow. um, you know, the childcare for the three year old while their seven month old was undergoing chemotherapy and surgeries. Um, and it's grim, but it is a reality. Um, and that would have made a massive difference if they didn't have to worry about cash during that time. Yeah. Um, and, you know, so I don't want to be like a Debbie Downer, but uh, it only takes a minute to do something, agree to something like that. And then you don't have to think about it again. And hopefully you never have to use it, but it's there if you need it. Yeah, completely. And it just seems like as soon as those big life changes come in, you really need to think about, you know, sorting out that um, protection insurance. And yep. I, I guess when we talk about protection insurance, one of the first ones I think of uh, is life insurance. Mm-hmm. Um, it's probably one of the better known types of cover. But how do these policies actually work? Um, and why exactly might we consider getting one, for example? Okay, well, for life insurance, typically, we tend to think about it because um, we when you take out a mortgage, the bank wants you to have life insurance. Because if you die, um, they want to ensure that they get their money back. Mm. So you just you kind of think, well, I've got the mortgage, I've got to get the life insurance. So a lot of people um, opt to get um, a decreasing term of life insurance, which is the cash sum that you're insured for reduces throughout your policy length. So it's usually like as you pay off your mortgage, the 
the amount of insurance that you have decreases as well because you just want it to cover the mortgage, mm-hmm. which is great up until you you know you have children. Um, and so you need to then kind of increase it again, because in the event of, you know, two parent families, whether you're married or separated, you know, I still, my husband, my ex-husband and I are still amicable and we co-parent together, but, and we still rely upon each other for Mm. childcare and support, um, more, even more so than financial as such. But in the event of one of us dying or in any family, um, Who's going to look after the kids? Yeah, and we've talked about life insurance policy. I've got some terms in front of me here. Maybe you can help us explain what these are. Level term, Mm -hmm. decreasing term, and whole of life. What exactly do these mean? Well, level term insurance is um, basically what it says in the tin. So it's uh, you pay for a pre-agreed sum um, to pay out no matter you know, how much, how long the policy is. So with decreasing, um, what happens is it's the cash sum reduces throughout the policy length, as I say, usually. Oh, like you say about the mortgage. Yeah. Yeah. But with a level term, um, particularly myself as a mother, I have that because no matter when I, or if I die, but no matter at what stage that is, Mm -hmm. I still want to have a certain amount of money um, available for my child. Um, and so, and a whole of life insurance is a type of policy that guarantees the insurance provider will pay out a lump sum if you die whenever that is rather than within a fixed time frame. So it really depends, again, on getting a good balance about what you need um, due to your circumstances and also the costs, because the, yeah. the greater the cover, the, the increase of the costs, not a massive amount, but, you know, people are watching their pennies more so now than ever. Um, So it's about choosing what's right for you at the time, um, but also revisiting it when things change. Yeah. And joint life insurance policies exist as well. But what might people need to think about before taking one of those out? Well, the thing is with um, a joint life insurance policy is, in my opinion, you know, it's you're basically paying for two sets of cover, but you really only get one. So it's if mm. you're both covered under that one policy, if one of you dies, then the other one is uncovered. So I would always okay. take it two individual policies. Okay. Um, so that in the event of, you know, both people, you know, on the either on the mortgage or as the parents dying, it will pay you'll get paid out twice because you really do need to cover two sets of either income or unpaid um, work as well. Yeah. Let's have a look at another sort of protection insurance. Uh, that type of insurance is income protection, which we've touched on in your own background already today. But how exactly does this work? And is this type of cover more relevant to some than others? I suppose if you're not working, maybe you don't necessarily need income protection. Well, personally, income protection is, um, if you can have a favorite protection insurance, it's <laughs> fine. Um, so this is a type of insurance that's designed to cover you if you're unable to work due to ill health or, you know, a, a new a disability. Mm-hmm. So what it means is you pay monthly premiums and you can receive 50 to 70% of your salary um, via regular payments. So mm-hmm. every month and for the length of the policy. So whether you have stipulated how many years that would be, or if you say until retirement, or if you say until 75, you know, that choice is something that you would decide for yourself or work out with a broker. Okay. And these payments are generally tax-free. 
Um, but often uh, your employer may offer this type of cover as well. Um, so it's worth, because that's quite a valuable benefit as well. Although that's usually only typically, I think for, I don't know, five years. Um, but while that might be useful for if you are, um, you know, you've been diagnosed with cancer and you're undergoing treatments and you have a positive outcome and then can return to the workplace after two years or so, um, whatever that may be. Um, if you have a stroke, for instance, and you're incapacitated and it can no longer do your job, then you're going to need long term um, protection, like, you know, financial protection. And one thing that's really important with income protection is that you ensure that you're cover, um, you, that you were covered for your actual occupation that you do. Mm-hmm. So while you may be um, too unwell to do the job that you do on a day to day basis now, some insurance providers will say, well, you could still work somewhere else, so we won't pay out. So you really need to make sure that you were covered for that eventuality, because oftentimes the the difference in pay could be quite considerable. Um, and if that's not going to cover your bills and your outgoings, then it's not really that appropriate. Yeah, completely. And COVID-19 obviously has brought a lot of job uncertainty for people. How uh, Has there been more demand for sort of a protection insurance or has income protection, for example, have they changed? Well, at the beginning of, I think what... Um, COVID-19 has really done, I mean, it's done a lot of things, um, but it's really made people that are younger, I think, consider that um, anything could happen. You know, for you often put your head in the sand and think, oh, it'll never happen for me. But suddenly a pandemic comes and we're all wearing masks and we're all trying to keep ourselves safe and keep others safe. And then suddenly you think, well, what would happen if I got coronavirus or I had a positive result? And even if I didn't, end up, um, you know, in hospital, or something like that, I still wouldn't be able to work. And, you know, I remember in the beginning of the lockdown, and I thought, and I had only recently separated from my husband in the December prior, so became a single mom in December, COVID hit in March. Um, It's a really great way to put your marriage ending into perspective is when there's a global pandemic. But, you know, we we handled it like a team because we were like, we still have the same financial priorities and goals together. So that's fine. But that aside, you know, as a, uh, you know, I was doing freelance at the time. And if I wouldn't work, if I couldn't work, if I was sick, I wouldn't be able to look after my daughter or earn any, any money. And that really worried me. Luckily, I had the protection in place, so I knew that I would be covered. But a lot of people started suddenly thinking about this, thinking, what would I do? But at that point, um, a lot of um, providers were, they didn't know what to expect. So maybe they wouldn't offer COVID protection. Wow. But, you know, again, my view is it's better to be protected for nearly everything than to be protected for nothing. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think we've touched on this already, but short-term and long-term protection, what's the difference? I think most people can probably have a good bit of a guess, judging mm-hmm. from the name. Yeah, the clue is in the name. 
Um, so with ink protection, I mean, critical illness, for instance, is what I would, uh, in my opinion, um, I feel is like what you should consider for short term, because what it does is it pays out a lump sum if you're diagnosed with a critical illness or a permanent disability. So, you know, it could be £70,000 payout um, if you were diagnosed with breast cancer or had a heart attack. Um, but that would certainly take the pressure off while you were concentrating on your recovery. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't help if you have long-term effects and you are unable to return to work at all. So that's where I think long-term protection is income protection. And but it, within this, there's also you get to choose with income protection, you get to choose your own length of the policy. Now, in my opinion, um, we need to really consider that we are living longer, especially women, mm -hmm. um, and the retirement age is ever increasing. Yep. <laughs> so by 2028, the retirement age is going to be 67. I'm 41 now. So in 30 years time, what's it going to be? Mm. Um, so you kind of need to think about it longer than 65. You know, if you are still, you can't get your estate pension or you haven't been able to make pension provision because you've been unwell and there's not enough to go around, then, you know, what are you going to do? So it's certainly worth doing. And the good news is, is the earlier you get it, you're younger and you're healthier. So the premiums are often cheaper. So generally, when we're talking about uh, critical illness cover, what sort of things does this cover? And is there anything that typically d people wouldn't be covered for that they should be aware of? So again, um, it just pays out a lump sum. Mm -hmm. If you get diagnosed with um, a critical illness or even a terminal illness or, um, a, you know, acquire a permanent disability, that means you can't work or you need to, or it doesn't, sorry, it doesn't even need to be a permanent disability, but you're unable to work and they, you will get the lump sum mm -hmm. and that's tax free. But, you know, even 70,000 pounds, while it might seem like a lot, if you think of what your salary is or what your outgoings are, it doesn't, it's not going to last that long. So, you know, if you don't, you know, the, the critical illness will give you that boost, but bear in mind, it does take a little while for any kind of insurance payout to come through. Mm, yeah. And we've talked a lot about, um, you know, the big illnesses, physical illnesses, but is mental health generally covered by critical mm -hmm. illness insurance? Uh, well, mental health is actually one of the most common causes of claims on income protection insurance, according to the ABI, which is the Association of British Insurance Insurers. And, you know, if you think about it, I mean, certainly mental health has not gotten better due to mm. the pandemic. Um, and so I think, you know, all disabilities and illnesses aren't always obvious um, and they can be just as debilitating. So yes, they are often covered. However, um, pre-existing conditions tend not to be covered. Um, but again, as I said, you can still get covered. It might be a little bit more expensive if you're considered a, a increased insurance risk. Um, but the Equality Act of 2010 says it's unlawful for an insurance provider to discriminate against those with a disability. Mm. Um, but again, a pre-existing condition can be excluded. So, for instance, in my with my personal cover, because my mom um, has MS, even though as far as everybody knows it's not hereditary I have an exclusion on my cover but wow. my view is well I'm still covered for all the other things right. and I can't help my genetics 
So, but I don't feel like it was worth me not taking out the cover. And it is a little bit more expensive, but I think I'm a bit of an exceptional case, you know, with my terrible genetic background. <laughs> but, but you know, it's it the the cost of a uh, of critical or income protection and critical illness. It's around you know the cost of a gym membership. Not that wow. I have one of those. But... <laughs> well, yeah, never. Everyone's cancelled that in the past year. I'm sure. I, I was well, going to I was going to touch on that though because we have we've skirted around the issue. How much does it cost the the payments that you have, and what might you expect to get back from that? Well, the thing is, is I don't really want to say because I'm not an underwriter. So, but you know, mm. as a a good rule of thumb, it's you can imagine what you would pay to go to the gym, or as as I say, a really nice takeaway. You know, although when you're buying a takeaway for one, I tend to buy enough for two. So I guess it's that. There you two go. Two meals. It's just two meals. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> it. Exactly. So, but the thing is, is like all insurance, you you know, you need to shop around. Okay. So while you everyone shops around for their travel insurance or their home insurance, or at least I hope you do. Um, you do the same for your financial protection. Don't just take what your bank offers you. Um, and I know that happens because my friends tell me about it all the time. And I'm like, no, don't do it. Consider going to a broker. Okay. And, you know, you just need to remember that when you do get to the point where they do the questionnaires and ask you about your health and your history, tell them everything. Like I overshared okay. because I was not going to give anybody a reason not to pay out because I overlooked something. Mm. So my, um, and my, uh, the woman that did my, um, my policy knows everything about me, but <laughs> you know, there's nothing, nothing to, I'm not going to fall through the cracks and nothing's going to catch me out. Yeah, I think that's a really good little tip there as well. And we've we've mentioned that some insurance can be a bit cheaper if you start your policy a bit earlier in your life. But what other sort of things can have an impact on the cost of protection insurance? Well, lifestyle, for instance. I mean, whether okay. you smoke, if you don't smoke, it's cheaper. If you um, are, you know, you're being, I think they still do BMI or your weight, you know, just it's lifestyle um, and general health can help. Um, you know, again, pre-existing conditions, a genetic background, you know, little things that you don't, you know, be rewarded for the fact that you don't smoke by paying less than your insurance. <laughs> and they'll ask you all of those questions and the amount of alcohol you drink and whether you exercise. And, you know, that that does help. But I think the biggest thing and personally is to shop around. Yeah, that's yeah, that's a really good point, actually. And we've have touched on some employer benefits, but are there any other types of cover that people might have already through their employer or their benefits package? You might get like a death and service benefit, which would be life insurance. You may have income protection or critical illness, um, depending on the job. Um, you know, if you are unwell, you will get sick pay. Um, which is paid by your employer for 28 weeks, payable from the fourth day of illness. Um, but don't get excited. It's only um, just over, just under £96 per week. Okay. And then after the 28 weeks, there's nothing available other than like universal credit or um, employment and support allowance. One of the great um, things about financial protection, whether it's income protection, critical illness or life insurance, is that you may have um, value added services as part of your policy and you don't even know about it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, this is what I talk about, you know, all the time as a financial journalist. And as I said, 
love my insurance products, but I didn't know about this. And so if I don't, why would, you know, one of, one of my girlfriends and what it's called, these value added services are um, benefits that are provided for you through your insurance provider. And they could be things like remote services, such as 24 seven GP access, mental health support, um, second opinions on medical diagnoses, um, physio, and I, you know, I only found out or only came to light when I got an email from my broker when um, lockdown started and they said, did you know, you know, are you nervous about going to your GP or struggling with mental health? Did you know that you have this and it's free? Yeah, and I guess that's what you're saying essentially is, you know, COVID-19, maybe it might have impacted your policy in, in that you might have some things available to you that you didn't know. But are there any sort of... Um, sort of things that people should consider maybe is their policy not necessarily gonna give them the cover you they require because of COVID-19 now um you know if you already have an existing policy in place um as far as I'm aware it won't be impacted future policies could be um but you know I think that that's the that's not just with financial protection that's with everything that's holidays you know you know there's there's no getting around it so you know don't let something like that put you off because there really are too many benefits yeah and i wanted to just touch on some myths as well around protection insurance you might hear phrases like insurance companies don't pay out or it doesn't matter if you don't tell the insurer everything as we've already heard your insurer knows everything about you um so are those are those myths are those is there any truth to those sentences? No, I mean, I think the reason why they're called myths is because <laughs> that's what they are. Um, but I do think it's a it's a misunderstanding. And, you know, people think that, you know, consumers can be naturally suspicious of something that may seem too good to be true or just because they've had bad experiences with other types of insurance. And they think, you know, committing to a monthly premium for, you know, years and decades, um, they might become a little bit more hesitant. But the thing is, is very often, and certainly in my job, you don't hear the positive stories. You only ever hear when people are, you know, unhappy. Um, But, you know, the insurance providers, um, they publish their claims data um, a couple times a year. And it shows, I think that it's usually over 95% of claims are paid out. And oftentimes, if there isn't a payout, it's because something has not been um, disclosed um, Mm. during the, uh, you know, the medical questionnaire. So that's why I say, you know, literally, tell them everything um and even more than they want to know if I'm honest but it it just means that you, that's less likely to happen but I mean that is the case with any type of insurance you know if you have travel or sorry car insurance and you say you only drive 5,000 miles a year but you're really doing 45,000 miles a year then mm. you know it, your your cover could be affected yeah. And that I mean, that's a great tip, I think, when it comes to insurance. But any other good tips that you think are worth sharing today about people finding the right insurance policy for them? Um, I think it's a case, you know, my biggest tip is to just do something about it, because you're no better off by not doing it. And my, you know, I started my blog, um, and it's called Your Best Friend's Guide to Cash, because I've written for national newspapers for, you know, 15 years. 
But my girlfriends, you know, we're all working moms with kids. We don't really have time to read the papers on the weekends anymore, unfortunately. And even when if they were, they weren't pulling out the money section. Mm. Um, but, you know, we would be on play dates and they would ask me about something. I thought, you know what, we just need to have, I need to explain things in a way that I would to my friends. Mm. So for instance, like pension contributions, I say, would you pass up a Christmas bonus? And everyone says, no. I said, well, then don't pass up the pension contributions you can get from your company. Increase Mm. your contributions and take the extra from the man, you know? (laughs) And when you explain it like that, suddenly it's like, oh, all right. Mm. Um, And so I think the the main thing is, is to explain to people, you know, if if they understand that they're, what the risks are and what there doesn't have to be a risk to your family's well-being, um, then it's worth doing. All you got to do is go online and often, again, working moms say, oh, I don't have time. But brokers are open. They'll call you till eight o'clock, nine o'clock at night. You know, the kids can be in bed and you can do your medical questionnaire. Like, mm. and that's another thing. COVID's made everything so much easier and so much more flexible for remote anything. Yeah, I like so this podcast. Tip, <laughs> yes. So my main thing is, my biggest tip is just do something. Yeah. Look into it because the longer you put it off, um, you know, and once it's done, you never have to think about it until you have your next massive life change. Yeah. And I was going to say about that, when it comes to protection insurance, our policies, how often would you say we need to be reviewing things? I personally um, have do it when there's a, a life change. So okay. buying a home, you know, even renting because more people are renting longer, but you still have to be covered for rent. Um, getting married, having children, having additional children, getting a divorce, um, getting a massive promotion. So then lifestyle inflation means when you start earning more money, you obviously maybe move to a bigger house. Mm. So it's again, just anytime, you know, your expenses change um, considerably, then I would look at reviewing it. And, you know, the worst case scenario is you nothing changes and you have feel like you've wasted your time but my god you'd be you're glad that you did when you make sure that that cover pays out when you need it okay great we're nearly at the end of our time today cara but i wanted to ask if there's just a few top takeaways that you want people to take from this podcast today and all your tips what would they be I would say that um, I grew up in a household where you could see that bad luck can happen not just once, but it can happen twice um, in terms of health and um, the difference that it made, not even to my parents, I guess, you know, I don't know. But, you know, I was a kid and it the security that I had from being able to remain in my home, on my street, in my neighborhood, in my school and class is, you know, is, was priceless. Yeah. And I feel like if you think about it from that point of view, about how you being unwell might affect your children, then that might help, you know, focus your mind a little bit. And, you know, I don't say that lightly, mm-hmm. but that really was a, a really significant part of my life. So I would say, yeah, do that. And, you know, don't put it off. Just do it. And then once it's done, you're done. You don't have to think about it for ages. <laughs> oh, that is, a, that is a really good tip. Thank you. We always end by asking our guests, if you could go back to your 18-year-old self and give your 18-year-old self one bit of advice, what would it be? Well, 
you know, my first um, instinct is to look at the fact that in pictures, I looked like I was 45 when I was 17 and 18. <laughs> I honestly looked like I, no way. yes, I had the, the hair, it's, it's shocking. I've put them on Instagram before and <gasps> it looks like I should have been working in a pensions department trying to get you to sign up for the company scheme. And But um, the nineties were a tough time. I thought I had the Rachel haircut, but I did not. I it was such like, a difficult haircut for people to wear, especially when you have massive hair. And that was after the perm, and I even have perm fringe. But I would Ooh. say, uh, you know, hairstyles aside, I would say eighteen-year-old me um, is actually don't feel guilty or bad or ashamed of any kind of mistakes you make with money, because you know there is always help available. If you're, you know, I was so bad with money because I didn't know how to handle it because we weren't really taught it back then. Mm. Um, And so I learned the hard way. But I remember not feeling that I could ask other, you know, for help because I was embarrassed. I had all these parking tickets in my parents' car um, or I didn't even know what an overdraft was when I moved to England until I, you know, exceeded it. I was like, (laughs) oh, but um you know, don't feel bad because it will, you will learn from it. Um, and don't be ashamed. But also in my case, all those years of being terrible with money made me so much better for it. And now this is what I do for a living. So I feel like, you know, that ex- think about that that experience is going to pay off because that's what your career will be about. <laughs> Literally pay off as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, quite. Oh, I love that. That's such a nice note to end on, Akira. I really love that. Um, Thank you so much for joining me, Akira Gemmel, on the Penny Drops. Thank you for having me. It's been fun. Just a reminder, as always, we'll have more resources for you about protection insurance in the show notes wherever you're listening to this episode. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Penny Drops. We hope you learned something new and useful to help you with your finances. We'd love to hear what you think of the series, so please do leave us a review. Or if you have any comments or money questions you'd like us to cover, you can get in touch at thepennydrops at royallondon.com. This podcast series is brought to you by Royal London, the UK's largest mutual life pensions and investment company. Royal London recommends you seek professional independent financial advice before making financial decisions. All views and opinions expressed are those of the guest and not of Royal London. Royal London.